Welcome to Young Smart Money, show number three, with me, your host, Apple Kreider. The show that sets you up for lifelong financial success with personal stories and actionable advice that we certainly didn't learn in school. In this show, I'm going to be providing the framework and practical steps that will allow you to secure a significant income before you even graduate by doing things that you love to do already. I am currently on this path, making about three to $4,000 every single year from both side hustles and passive income, and I can tell you that it is a pretty fun and rewarding path to be on. So that is why in this episode of Young Smart Money, we will be discussing starting a business in college and what goes into that both on the idea side and the execution side. Now, I'm really excited for this entire episode, but maybe the most valuable stuff, at least in my opinion, is going to have to do with marketing your business and getting your name out there. So be sure to stick around for that. I've had a lot of fun experimenting with creative and fun ways to sort of get my name inside of people's heads. So I'm really excited to share that with you guys in this episode. But first, we're going to have a quick message from our sponsor. This episode of Young Smart Money is sponsored by $100 and a Smartphone, a free online course that I created to walk college students step-by-step through investing their first $100 in order to create passive income. Have you ever thought, hey, I want more money, but I don't want to have to work more hours to get it? Well, these 45 minutes of video lecture content within $100 and a Smartphone will answer all of the most common questions I am asked about starting to invest, such as what is a stockbroker? And how do I find an investment that best balances my risk tolerance and desired rate of return? After completing this course, you will have the skills and confidence necessary to embark on a lifetime of investing to ensure that your money is working for you and you are not working for it. For more information, head over to applecrater.com forward slash course. So in this episode, we are going to be talking about starting a business in college. And I think that starting a business while you're in college is a great way to get some exposure to how the real world works, do something you love, and maybe even make some money in the process. So there are many different styles of business that you could start from your dorm room, from maybe a high growth tech company to a maybe legal plant growing operation. But what I'm going to be talking about in this episode is less intense than starting the next Facebook and less illegal than starting to grow a highly regulated substance in your dorm room. Now, there are many names for this type of business, and they range from, say, a passion project to a side hustle. But my favorite and most specific term for the type of business that I think really has the most potential for you to start in college is the personal brand. Now, what is a personal brand? Well, it is exactly what it sounds like, turning yourself into a brand and creating value for people and a following by sharing what you know and what path you're on, all centered around who you are. Now, some great examples of personal brands that you've probably heard of are people like Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, and Michelle Obama. When you hear these names, you instantly associate them with probably one or two words and have a clear idea of what they do and what they stand for. So, for example, 
Tony Robbins has created a personal brand around empowering people to make changes in their lives and to live their best lives, and is able to set himself apart by using strong language in his coaching and events. Gary Vaynerchuk, on the other hand, his personal brand revolves around entrepreneurship and the marketing and mindset that feed a successful business, while Michelle Obama, on the other hand, is focused on giving back, and her philanthropic efforts and speaking really serve to set her apart. So as you can see, what a personal brand really comes down to is setting yourself apart by focusing on a specific area and positioning yourself as an expert in that field. Now, there's no denying that all three of these individuals are experts in their fields, and because of that, people listen to them. With the massive reach that anyone with internet access can achieve, it has never been easier to establish yourself as an expert and to gain an audience of people willing to learn from you, and if the value is there, willing to pay you. So now that you have the basics for a personal brand down, let's talk specifics. So the four main things that we're going to cover when it comes to personal brands are the idea, the location, the marketing, and how you actually go about capturing value. All right. So first, let's start off with the idea. Now, this is where most people get caught up, but you really have to take a step back and realize that ideas are really just a dime a dozen. You can come up with ideas all day, but until you take that first step, you don't actually have anything. But what makes a good idea to begin with? Well, really what you need is a niche. And this isn't going to be something like sports or cars, but it's going to be something specific for a specific group of people. If you haven't heard the quote, the riches are in the niches before, it is such a very true quote. Because if you don't focus in, if you're not specific on who you're serving, you're going to end up serving nobody. Because when people are on the internet, when they're looking for information, they're not just looking for some generic source of information. They're looking for somebody who is an expert because people have questions. They have concerns or needs that they want resolutions to. And if you can provide those specific resolutions, you're going to build trust, you're going to build loyalty, and you will build a base of people who frequently come back for more information because they know you are the expert in this field, you're the expert in this niche, and they know that whenever they have questions about this specific topic, that you are the person to turn to. But equally, if not more important than picking a specific niche and getting a very specific topic, it really has to be something you like to do. If you decide to start a business doing something you don't like to do, obviously it's not going to be super easy to stick with that in the long term, continue to be motivated, and continue to provide a ton of value for people. Now, this really does depend on the business, but you're probably going to be doing this for a pretty significant amount of time, maybe 6 to 12 months, before you actually start to see real returns. Because with a personal brand, you really have to build yourself up as an expert before anyone is going to be willing to give you any significant amount of money. And the best way, in my opinion, to establish yourself as an expert is to give out a ton of information for free because then people can start to trust you. They can start to realize that, hey, this person actually does know what they're talking about. 
and then once you have warmed them up as somebody who trusts you who likes you then you can start to potentially sell something to them if that is something you want to do if you have a product or service that is going to provide a ton of value for this person then you can begin to make a profit in that way but where do you actually find ideas so like we said ideas are a dime a dozen anybody can come up with ideas but where do you find those good ideas that will make a good personal brand or just a good business in general well what i did when i wanted to establish myself as a personal brand is i made a list of five things that i like to do and i would recommend that you actually do that as well so grab a pen grab a piece of paper or just pull up the notes app on your phone and make a list of five things you like to do already no but seriously make a list of the five things that you already like to do for fun without having any money involved without making any money doing these activities or hobbies and these can be as simple as here's an example list for you maybe baking buying the newest shoes looking at bugs creating cool designs and walking so there you go there is a list of five things that somebody may have come up with now with each of these things that you like to do think about how you could do these things or a variation of these things in order to provide value for someone now one of the easiest ways to provide value is to teach others about what you do or teach others how to do what you do for example uh, you could teach somebody how to bake teach people about different kinds of bugs teach people how to create cool designs in photoshop and these could all be viable ways to generate income doing something that you already do and that you already enjoy now you might be thinking wow that sounds like it would not scale at all and i would be so limited in the amount that i could earn and to that i say slow down there there are definitely ways to teach that do not scale well and where you as the educator serve as the primary bottleneck to the business but there are also many ways to teach to a large group of people without being limited by a hectic schedule or lack of free time which we're going to get to in just a couple of minutes now another way to provide value is to provide a service for someone some people are not looking to learn a new skill and are just looking for a product or service to be provided without much effort on their part and to that i say perfect in this case coming back to our examples you could sell baked goods to student groups for their events you could flip shoes on ebay or you could sell your photoshop designs to businesses on a platform like upwork or fiverr now so far none of this information has probably been life-changing i mean you probably could have figured out that if you walk your neighbor's dog you could make some extra money but the thing that will make the life-changing difference is taking action you can listen to podcasts or watch youtube videos or read books about making money and starting a business but until you really put yourself out there and try something you severely limit the amount that you're able to learn and the first step toward taking action is to test your ideas so how do you actually go about testing your ideas to figure out if you have a good idea or not well the best way in my opinion is to ask people because eventually you're going to need people to 
give you money if you want to start a business. So you better ask those people if they think what you're doing is a good idea and if they might be willing to pay for that. So one of the best resources for asking people whether they think you have a good idea or not is social media. Now, there are so many entrepreneurship or niche-specific Facebook groups that you could join and talk to people there who could give you feedback on your ideas, help you refine them, and help you establish whether or not this idea has merit going forward. Additionally, you could just talk to your family and friends. So even though your family and friends probably won't give you the most unbiased opinion on your business idea, they still could be a good place to get some early feedback on whether or not they think what you're doing is viable or not. And even the person sitting next to you in your psychology lecture could be a great resource for you to turn to and just say, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business selling baked goods to student groups for their events. Are you a part of a student group? Do you think your group would have any interest in this? And just put yourself out there and see what kind of feedback you get. Additionally, if you're really outgoing, you could even set up a table in the middle of campus and just ask people who are walking by if they'd be interested in your idea at all. It really is that simple. But you have to be careful here because people will lie to you. Not to sabotage your efforts or because they don't like you, but because of a couple of reasons. The first one is that people are very poor at predicting how they will act in certain scenarios. So, for example, if I went into a supermarket and I stood in the breakfast cereal aisle and surveyed people as they walked by and asked them this one question, if I asked them, if there was a healthier Pop-Tart, would you buy it? Now, there might be a lot of people that would say, yes, if there was a healthier Pop-Tart, I would buy it because right now I buy Pop-Tarts, but I realize they're unhealthy, so I would buy a healthier Pop-Tart. But say you go out and test that and it turns out they don't buy it. Well, people like to think of themselves in a positive light and they like to think that they would act in all of the best ways. But in reality, people rarely know how they behave. So the best way to find out how they actually will is to test when there is actual money on the line. Now we can cover more about testing and sort of the lean startup in a future episode. But for now, just know that what people tell you they're going to do does not always align with what they will actually do, even if they think they are being truthful. Now, the second reason people will lie to you is a thing called the social desirability bias. Now, this is essentially the tendency for people to act in the way that will make other people like them. So when you approach your friend and you ask them, hey, if I was teaching how to make really cool designs on Photoshop, would you pay $10 for a 30 minute lesson? Now, they may say yes, even if they have absolutely no interest whatsoever in learning how to create designs in Photoshop because they want to make a good impression with you because you're their friend and they don't want to discourage you from what you're doing. Now, because of this, responses from friends and family should really be taken with a grain of salt. And the best scenario for testing an idea is to get a commitment and maybe even a cash deposit from people signaling their interest. 
Now, this is a much stronger sign that demand actually exists for your product or service and may even provide you with some resources to get your idea off the ground. This is sort of like the Kickstarter approach because in the best case scenario, you end up with committed buyers and money to start going to work with. And in the worst case scenario, you realize the demand isn't there. So you just give people their money back and you move on to find a new idea. Now, some people, when they hear that they should test their idea on other people, they say, what if somebody steals my idea? What if I tell somebody about this and then they go out and do it and they beat me to the punch? Well, honestly, ideas are a dime a dozen. And anyways, people really do tend towards inaction. People tend to not do anything. And because of that, even if you have a great idea, the chance of anyone stealing your idea is honestly quite low because people tend not to do anything. Even if they have an idea presented to them, all packaged up, people just tend not to take it. Now that you have an idea, you really have to figure out where you plan to pursue this idea. And when it comes to different avenues for pursuing your idea, you really do have a lot of options. Now, obviously, you're listening to a podcast right now. So podcasts can actually be a great way to start a personal brand because when you make content in a podcast format, it's easier to digest anywhere and to multitask while you listen to it. So personally, I listen to podcasts all the time. I listen to them walking to class. I listen to them at the gym. And there's just so many different places where you can listen to podcasts while you're doing something else. And this isn't really an option that's available for a lot of different formats of content. This makes podcasts very attractive for especially younger generations who are always doing multiple things at once and don't really have the attention span to read an article or sit down and watch an entire video. Now, the downside to podcasts is that they are a lot harder to convert traffic with. So what I mean by that is when somebody's listening to your podcast, like we said, they're probably doing something else. So it's hard to get them to say your website or a YouTube channel or any other place where you could continue to build a relationship with them because at this moment, they don't really have the bandwidth to do something else to follow up on your website. And by the time they finish listening to the podcast, they may have forgotten that they were going to check out your website or something like that. So with podcasts, because people are multitasking, it can be harder to convert traffic there. Now, the next option for where to pursue your personal brand is through a blog. And this is sort of the classic place where personal brands really cropped up with bloggers. So with blogs, you really have a lot of time to script, to think, to edit, and then to refine your posts. So these can really be well-crafted things that you put a lot of time into, and it really makes you less vulnerable when you use a blog because you're sort of shielded. You're not putting yourself in front of people in say a video or a podcast. So it's sort of a safer space because you're shielding yourself to that criticism and people are less able to directly criticize you when you are just providing them with text instead of say an audio recording or a video. 
Additionally, with a blog, it's going to be a lot easier to monetize your audience. You've got a lot of options here. Um, the most simple of which is to just include ads on your blog. And this is really easy to integrate with Google. So if you want to start monetizing something quickly, then a blog may be a good option for you. But it can be a lot harder to get traffic to your blog because the attention span of especially young people is waning by the day and people don't really want to sit down and read a 1500 word blog post. They're much more inclined to listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube video for the same information. Additionally, with a blog, it can be a lot easier to build, say, an email list because people are already online, they're already on their computer or their smartphone, and they're a lot more accessible for you to sort of get into your sales funnel and get them onto your email list. Now, another option could be to pursue your personal brand in person. Now, doing this really does take a lot of confidence and a lot of knowledge, but it does serve to build great relationships and credibility. So you really do need a ton of confidence to be able to stand up in front of people and sort of tell them about what you do and why and how just because you're really opening yourself up to a ton, a ton of criticism and potentially questions that you may not have the answer to. And for some people, that can be really tough to deal with saying, I don't know in front of a lot of people. So if you're able to do this effectively, you can build great relationships with people because they're going to see that you really do know what you're talking about and you can build that credibility very quickly. Now, this can really help you convert people into customers very quickly because they will start to trust you much faster than if you were to just create YouTube videos or podcasts. However, it's not very scalable. You can't be in more than one place at once and holding events, there is a limited amount of people that could be there. It's hard to get people to show up. So it's really not very scalable to just pursue an in-person route of creating a personal brand. Now, this last channel is really my personal favorite, and that is starting a YouTube channel. Now, starting a YouTube channel is so, so versatile. There are so many different things that you can do with a YouTube channel to create your personal brand. So just a couple examples of some of the options that you have. You could choose to be either in front of the camera, you could do animation videos, you could do screen sharing of your computer with say a voiceover. There's really so many options that you can pursue with a YouTube channel that allow you to pick the means of transmitting information that best suit the content and that best suit what you're comfortable with. So you really don't have to get in front of a camera if you don't want to. And you can even use voiceover so that you don't have to use your voice in your videos. Additionally, on YouTube, you can choose to either make entertainment content or teaching content. So you can teach people how to do something or you can simply provide entertainment. YouTube videos can also be scripted or you can just take them on the fly. So you can just stand up in front of a camera and just start talking and put that on YouTube and you're instantly in front of over 2 billion people who regularly use YouTube. Now, this is so, so powerful to just have this audience in front of you and if you, if you play the YouTube game right, if you play your cards right, YouTube will actually put you in front of a ton of people 
who can get exposed to you, to your brand, to what you do very, very quickly. And if you're providing good value, then YouTube is going to see that and they're really going to promote your video to the most people possible. YouTube videos can also convey excitement a lot more than, say, a podcast or a blog can because you actually can see this person if they're on camera and you can really relate a lot more with them. That also makes it feel more conversational, like you're actually talking with this person instead of just listening to them or reading what they wrote on a blog. Additionally, YouTube videos can also be highly digestible like a podcast if you create YouTube videos that don't rely heavily on visuals. Therefore, people can listen to them while they're doing something else. Again, similar to a podcast, if the audio stands alone, then YouTube videos can also serve as sort of like a podcast type vehicle. And honestly, I really do believe that everybody does have something to say and everyone has something to say that could benefit others. And YouTube is just a great channel to make your voice heard on because you do have access to all of those people who are on YouTube on a regular basis. Now, here's the part that I was looking forward to the most, and this is about spreading the word. So how do you get people to know about what you're doing, what you're up to, and just drive people to be curious about you and to learn more about you? Well, this is personally where I've had some of the most success and I've had a host of people tell me that I really do have a knack for getting my name in people's heads. But I mean, with a name like Apple Crider, how much credit can you really give me? Well, here are the things that I have done firsthand that I feel can really benefit you in getting your name out there. So the first lesson that I think is so, so valuable is that expensive advertising does not equal good advertising. And the best ways that I have found to get my name out are either 100% free or very, very inexpensive. So the first things I tried with my personal brand were Facebook and YouTube ads. So I made so many mistakes looking back on YouTube and Facebook ads, and the biggest mistake was honestly just pursuing them in general. So there really is a steep learning curve when it comes to social media marketing, and because of that, there are a ton of social media marketing businesses that will actually market your brand, your company for you because there is such a steep learning curve here. So essentially what I did with Facebook and YouTube ads was create content that I was already creating and then just throw some money at it so that YouTube or Facebook would show it to more people and then expect them to convert into subscribers or to like my Facebook page or to sign up for my email list. And spoiler alert, it really didn't work whatsoever. So when it comes to YouTube and Facebook ads, you really do have to create content that is tailored to the platform, that is tailored to catch people's attention and to get them engaged. Um, take Ty Lopez, for example, his YouTube ads are very, very good at getting people engaged and getting people to his website, to his YouTube channel. Mine, on the other hand, were just normal YouTube videos that I was putting in front of other people's YouTube videos, and it really didn't turn out too well. But the transition for me really happened 
when I took a marketing position with a startup and my ideas of marketing were really turned upside down. So this startup that I was working with is called Mucho. And essentially, it's an app for college students to save money on their groceries and their dining out by getting rewarded for spending money at the grocery store with some points. You can redeem these points for grocery store gift cards. And that's essentially the premise of the app. So my position with Mucho was to, they stationed me in the grocery store and I would attempt to get people to sign up for this app. And if they did, I was rewarded with a commission. So I had to get creative with how to approach people, how to get people to listen to me, and then how to actually get people to sign up for this app. Because I actually didn't get a commission unless the person registered for an account and put their credit card information in. They didn't have to make a purchase, but they had to put their credit card information in. So it was a bit tricky in order to figure out good strategies to convert people. So in that aspect of the job, I really learned a lot about how to just not be afraid of approaching people and just starting to talk with strangers. I mean, I'd always been pretty comfortable with just approaching people, but with this position, I got even more comfortable and just a lot more confidence in myself to just talk to people out of the blue and start conversations naturally. But additionally with this position, there was the opportunity to go into classrooms and lecture halls before the school day started and to place flyers on the desks or the chairs for this um, app, for the Mucho. And the commission structure for this was a little bit different. So for this, I just got a flat rate based on the number of people that actually signed up. So my strategy here was just to get as many flyers out as I possibly could. So I took this very, very seriously the first week that I was employed with Mucho. And I put out probably close to, I'd say maybe 600 to 1,000 flyers in my first week. And what ended up happening was I made about $150 in just about two to three hours which was really powerful for me to see how much money I could actually make by hustling and by playing this game and trying to get as much commission as I possibly could. So the way I did this was essentially just going into as many classrooms as I possibly could and filling every single desk and chair with one of these flyers that had my promotional code on it so that if somebody signed up with that, they would... Um, trigger a commission for me. So I got this in front of as many people as possible and I saw, hey, if this strategy works here, why not apply this to myself and my personal brand that I had already started at the time? So I was thinking about this, I had this idea in the back of my head and then the next day, I actually saw a website being advertised on the chalkboard in my entrepreneurship lecture. and. As you do in an 8 a.m. lecture, I was really having trouble keeping my eyes open, so I was curious and I decided to check this out. Basically, there was a, a website URL written in chalk on the board and boxed off in a corner of the chalkboard. So I was like, hmm, this looked kind of official. I'm kind of curious. Did my professor put this here? I wonder who put this here. So I check it out 
And it was this Christian like website trying to convert people into Christianity, basically. And so I was really curious. I was like, hmm, I wonder how that got there. And I wonder how many other people actually went to that website like I did. So I figured that if I did that in my 8 a.m. lecture, I figured other people probably did as well because there were at least 200 people in this lecture hall. So I'm like, hmm, there's got to be some potential here. If I could do this with Mucho, if I could get my flyer in front of a lot of people and get some serious money from that, maybe if I get my website in front of a lot of people, then I can start to convert some traffic there. So the next day, what I did was I went back to my entrepreneurship lecture and I wrote my URL, which was applecrider.com, a little shameless plug there, but I wrote it really small and I boxed it off just like this Christian website had done. Now, immediately after class, I went to a bunch of other classrooms in the building and did the same thing on all of their chalkboards. And in 15 minutes, I was able to get exposure to thousands of students who would potentially have interest in my website and in learning more about financial literacy. And the thing that really got me was that professors didn't erase them. So I had my entrepreneurship lecture at 8 a.m., but then at 5 p.m., I had a lecture for real estate in the exact same room, and what I noticed was my URL was still there. Nobody had erased it throughout the day. There were multiple lectures in that lecture hall, and nobody had erased my URL. So this got me thinking, wow, there's really some potential here, especially when it can stay up all day, and I get this exposure into probably a dozen different classrooms that all were exposed to my advertisement. So my immediate first thought was, why not make it bigger? And I should mention that the reason that I was boxing it off in the corner was, first off, I saw it done with the um, the Christian website that was first advertised there, but it really does make your advertisement stand out. It makes it seem a lot more official than just some scribbling on the chalkboard. If it's boxed off, there's sort of like this magical space because even when professors used the chalkboard, they wouldn't touch this box in the corner. They would just work around it. So I think that there's really a lot of power to just boxing off your advertisement or your text on the board so that professors, they don't, they probably don't think it's very like official, but there is something about boxing off text that has sort of like a magical effect in that nobody wants to touch it and nobody um, erases it. So I think that's really powerful. But my, my next thought when I saw that it wasn't taken down all day was why not make it bigger? So over the next couple of weeks, I sort of experimented with how big I could get this. And by the end of about a month, I was just using up the entire chalkboard. I would just write my URL across the whole chalkboard and um, get it in front of a th thousands of students for the entire day, just a full chalkboard with my URL on it. Now, I didn't see explosive growth with this strategy. I didn't see thousands and thousands of people flooding to my website, but I knew that people were seeing it and they were getting my name in their heads. I actually had a couple people talk to me after class about what I was up to. They told me they had checked out my website during class and they were really curious. So I've definitely made a lot of connections and I've definitely gotten a lot of good feedback that people have seen my stuff. They've gone to my website and they've been interested in what I'm doing. So that has been really reinforcing um, my efforts. 
And even though I'm not seeing explosive growth, knowing that people are seeing it and knowing that I'm getting that repeat messaging into people's heads um, is just really encouraging to me. And I think it's a great, great way to get some free advertising. And it's been a lot more effective than either Facebook or YouTube ads, at least for me. Now, chalkboards are great, but I was thinking outside is where all the students are because currently I was just doing this in the business school, in the business school lecture halls. So I was like, I definitely want to get exposure to students outside of the business school because this is only a small fraction of all the students here. So how do I get my message outside? Well, my first thought was chalk because again, I was writing on the chalkboard. So why not just chalk outside? So what I did is I ordered 100 pieces of rainbow sidewalk chalk off of Amazon for $10. And I just started writing my URL, just started writing applecrider.com all across campus. I would write it on sort of the center of campus. I would write it on the stairs. I would write it in front of classrooms and just all the sidewalk all over campus. I would write my URL. And I started doing that for a while. And then I realized, hmm, maybe people are seeing this URL and they're like, cool, Apple Crider. I bet this dude sells like Apple Cider or something. Like, what does this even mean? And people just weren't interested because they had no idea what I even did. So then I started writing what I do next to it. So I would write like financial literacy or credit cards or learn how to invest, just stuff like that to give people a quick idea of what this website was actually about. And that started having good results for me. But then I decided to use multiple colors because I had this rainbow chalk and I figured using multiple colors would be a great way to catch people's eye. And immediately I saw that it was a lot more eye catching when I started using multiple colors. But the two things that really made it pop the most were first thing I did was I circled my URL. So I would circle it in white chalk. So I had some white chalk in this thing and I just circle it with white chalk and that really made it pop because when, when you don't circle it, it just sort of looks like scribbles on the sidewalk, again, like on the chalkboard. So by circling it and by creating this space around it, you now have this much more legitimate looking um, advertisement. And another thing that I saw other people with sidewalk chalk doing for like their clubs was they would draw a little arrow pointing at, um, in this case, my URL, and they would just write look with an exclamation point. So I started doing that. Um, next to all of my chalk and I would sort of write the look in front of like the door to a building or some place where I figured a lot of people were looking and then it just directed them to my URL. So by the end, I just had this huge like piece of sidewalk art in front of so many different classrooms and all over campus. And I was getting a lot of feedback as well from people who I knew who were saying, hey, I saw your stuff. So I definitely knew that it was getting recognized, that people were seeing it and that my name was getting farther and farther ingrained into their heads. Now, the next strategy I took to get my name outside was posters. So in the downtown area of Madison, there are these big, tall, um, I don't even know what they are, but they're just these metal structures that people advertise, usually concerts, but also just like ways to like jobs and stuff like that. So it's just these poster, these um, metal structures that you can tape up posters on and they're right in the middle of the street. As, well, and they're right in the middle of the sidewalk. And I always look at them. So I figured other people probably look at them too. So I started to put posters up on there. 
So my strategy with posters was I really only spent about $8 for about 60 posters. So I just made a PDF of a poster on canva.com. It's a great resource um, for designing really anything from logos to posters to infographics. Would highly recommend that. But I just designed these black and white posters with different slogans. So anything from financial literacy for college students to get money smart to learn how to invest. Just simple little slogans that popped in really big font. And I made these posters black and white in order to save money on printing, actually. Because with my school, you can print a sheet of black and white for seven cents or a sheet of color for 60 cents. So I figured I was really just trying to get my name into people's heads. I figured it didn't have to be that pretty. So I opted for the seven cent uh, black and white posters so that I could get, I got about 60 posters for a little under $5. And then I just went to Walgreens, bought a $3 roll of packaging tape and started putting my posters up all over um, the downtown area. So my strategy here was to make the text pop. So my poster really had three sections. At the top was just big text of the slogan. Below that was a little divider line, then my name, Apple Crater, then below that another divider line, and then my website URL. So if you want an example, I'll um, post some to the show notes just so you can get an idea of how simple this poster was. But I figured it would catch people's eye because all the other posters out were very brightly colored. So I figured this black and white poster would really stand out. Now, again, to catch people's eye, what I decided to do was to put three in a row. So I'd put three of these posters in a row with different slogans so that people would really notice them because like three black and white posters in a row in a stream of like a bunch of colors and oranges and reds and stuff really, really stood out. Additionally, what I did, and I would highly recommend you do this as well, if you see businesses with posters in their windows, ask them if you can put yours up there as well, because a lot of businesses have bulletin boards, and these are also a great resource, but for some businesses that don't have bulletin boards, they actually just tape posters up in their front window. So I was able to get a candy shop and an ice cream shop to actually put my poster up in their front window which was a great, great advertising opportunity and completely free. And I thought that was really, really cool that they were willing to do that. A mistake that I made, though, was I didn't use enough tape. So what I noticed when I was putting my posters up is the people who had posters up had literally used rolls of tape just to get their poster to stay up. They taped like all four sides and just like wrapped it around the entire metal structure. And I really didn't take after that because I didn't want to run out of tape on all 60 of my posters, but you really do have to use all the tape because people are pretty vicious downtown and they want their posters to be in the front. So they will rip your posters off if they're not well taped. So definitely be aware of that and use lots of lots of tape on your poster efforts. Additionally, like I said, bulletin boards are a great resource and you really should try to locate as many of those as you possibly can because they're a lot less competitive than these outdoor um, poster spaces. So if you can go into a business like a coffee shop or maybe, I don't know, a record store, they probably have a ton of bulletin boards that you can just put your poster up on and get some free advertising that way. 
Additionally, for me, what really made sense was to go into school buildings and find bulletin boards because these are really underutilized by students. They're really just full of advertisements for like summer jobs or research studies, but students really don't put anything on these boards. So I figured why not put my poster on these boards and get exposure in front of tons and tons of students who walk by these boards every day. I know I stop and look at the bulletin boards, so I figured other people probably did as well. So I decided to take advantage of bulletin boards with my posters as well. Now, these strategies are definitely not going to generate immediate results in most cases, but what they will do is they're going to get your name out there. People are going to talk about these posters that they're seeing everywhere or ask a friend in class about the URL on the chalkboard. These strategies really are designed to just generate um, word of mouth press about you and about your brand. They're not designed to convert people into paying customers right away. So these marketing moves have really done a lot for me. They actually landed me a radio interview and they made me a bunch of new connections, some of which I'm actually working with developing projects with right now. And I know that they have ingrained the name Apple Crater into thousands of college students' heads so that hopefully now whenever they hear my name, they'll be like, hey, I know that guy. Or even better, when they have financial questions or money concerns, they will say, hey, I saw this dude's website written in chalk outside my econ class and it said financial literacy. So maybe I'll check that out and maybe they'll have the answer to my question. And like I said, these aren't going to get you instant traffic like your Facebook or your YouTube ads. However, there is not that steep learning curve and they're going to ensure that people know who you are so that hopefully when they do have interest in what you're doing, it is your name that comes to mind. Now, that's all well and good that you know what you're going to do, you know where you're going to do it, and you know how you're going to get the word out in an affordable way. But the question now is, how are you going to capture value? How are you going to turn this passion project into a business? Well, first, I want to commend you for getting this far. Most people get into the trap of getting stuck in the learning phase. So if you have moved on to action, that is absolutely fantastic. So the first thing I'm going to say about getting paid is that it takes a while. Like we said before. This is no get-rich-quick scheme. It is a process that is going to take time. But if you find something that you're truly passionate about, the road to your first paycheck will be quite fulfilling in my opinion. Therefore, you gotta be patient. You need to create a really big pie before you start asking for a slice of it. Because a small slice of a really big pie is infinitely better than a huge slice of no pie. So you need to ensure that people know that you're knowledgeable and that you are the expert before you ask for any value in return. In order to do that, I think it's best that you build a base of loyal fans before you try to sell anyone anything. If you come out of the gates with like a thousand things that you're constantly pitching to people, it's gonna be a lot harder for you to build credibility and authority in your niche because people are going to think that you're just in it for the money and if you're not actually providing that value, you're not building a relationship with these people, 
it's going to be a lot harder for them to trust you. So to recap, what do you need to do to start your own personal brand in college? Well, it's not a lot of money or thousands of Instagram followers. In fact, you really only need four things. You need an idea. You need a place to share that idea with people. You need a way to tell people about what you're doing and eventually a way to start extracting some value from the transaction for yourself if you indeed choose to monetize your personal brand. So now that you have the tools, find an idea, run with it, and fail fast. The faster that you realize an idea isn't going to work, the faster you can start on another great idea and start creating something amazing. And for our money pun of the day, I used to know this CEO who regularly dropped brownies on his calculator. He was caught trying to fudge the numbers. <laughs> Next week, we'll be looking at the impact of saving money in college and how to save thousands every single year. If you can't wait until then for your next hit of financial literacy content and money skills, you are in luck. I've got a load of free resources just for you. The first of which is applecrater.com, where you're going to find the show notes for this episode at applecrater.com slash 003. Additionally, I've got a new course called $100 and a Smartphone, all about investing your first $100 as a student from the convenience of your smartphone. And lastly, Apple Crater on YouTube is where you can find about 150 of my daily YouTube video uploads on similar content as this podcast, just financial literacy from credit cards to investing to budgeting and everything in between. And I would just like to thank you for checking out Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Crater. And before I go, I'd like to challenge you to find a way to make $5. Sounds easy, right? But here's the catch. It can't be from a job and it has to originate from something that you're currently doing just for fun. So if you currently collect shoes, head on over to eBay and flip yourself a pair of shoes. Or if you take pictures, find a friend or family member that needs pictures taken and will pay you for it. If you like dogs, this could be as simple as walking a dog for a neighbor for a couple of dollars. But I really think it is crucial to take this first step, even if it is a small one, because it really shows that it is possible to begin generating a source of income from something that you already really enjoy doing and would be doing even if you weren't getting paid because in my opinion this is where the vast majority of side hustles that will be successful long term come from and then don't forget to let me know where you made your first five dollars anyways guys don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on itunes i would really appreciate it and it really does help out beginning podcasts to get those early reviews and I will be highlighting reviews and feedback in the next episode. For Young Smart Money, my name is Apple Kreider. I'll see you next week.